0: This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, July 7th. I'm Julia Caulfield.
1: And I'm Gavin McGough.
0: In today's headlines Tri County Health Network welcomes new executive team,
1: a Colorado River crisis,
0: eyes to ears with Bella Eatman,
1: and a mountain weather forecast. But first, San Miguel County Search and Rescue responded to an incident up Bear Creek on Thursday after a 64-year-old Texas woman slipped and rolled 30 feet down scree by the Bear Creek waterfall. First responders brought the woman down the trail using a side-by-side vehicle. She was transported to the Telluride Regional Medical Center for care.
0: Tri-County Health Network is under new leadership.
2: My name is Melanie Montoya Wasserman, and I am the Co-Executive Director of Advocacy and Inclusion at Tri-County Health Network. I am Amy Rowan, I'm the
3: Co-Executive
2: Director
0: of community programs.
4: My name is Matt Schroeder. I'm the co-executive director of operations.
0: Montoya Wasserman, Roth and Schroeder are the new triangular leadership team, taking over from Lynn Borup, who retired from Tri-County Health Network earlier this year. Montoya Wasserman says the intent of the new leadership model is to walk the talk.
2: Equity is a, a really big part of our mission. It's a big part of how we try to um, not just run the organization, but also impact the community and creating greater health equity, greater greater access for um, our community members to whatever they might need, whether that is um, health access or um, more social and cultural needs. And I think, you know, another big part of equity is having more voices at the table making the decisions rather than just one person. Being the ultimate decision maker, we want to have a lot of different perspectives, um, different experiences, different um, lived experiences that are influencing how decisions are getting made at the organization. Schroeder adds from a practical
0: standpoint, the model fits the breadth of work Tri-County supports.
4: We have more than 25 programs that we operate across six different counties, um, and uh All that goes into all of those different programs requires a breadth of knowledge um, and different strengths. And I think Lynn recognized that having a team uh, at the co-leadership level would help um, us to sort of distribute um, those responsibilities um, in a way that plays to each of our strengths.
0: Schroeder's wheelhouse is the operations side.
4: I'm overseeing finance as well as human resources um, and then all of the data and IT systems uh, that we use as an organization. So that's my primary focus. I'm not so much down in the weeds of the specific program areas like these two, um, but doing some of the more um, the broader org-wide operational type work.
0: Roth's focus is on Tri-County's community care, everything from medical to food and housing. So a lot of the community programs
3: um, where we're working directly with uh, community members to get access to, you know, whatever their insecurities are. So food insecurity or housing insecurities, um, the team that's under me, you know, work directly in a person-centered way to get people connected to the resources and break down some of the barriers that they might have to access those resources.
2: Finally, Montoya Wasserman. My team includes a lot of the multicultural advocacy team. Um, that's working largely with our immigrant population, our non-English-speaking population. Um, and then I also have a lot of the behavioral health programming under me. So that might include um, our suicide prevention program, our communities that care program, uh, some of the mental health first aid classes and uh, suicide prevention classes that we teach,
0: Roth says the main goal is to help residents in the region live their healthiest lives as full people. A lot of times people think health,
3: you know, is at the doctor's office. People get healthy by going to the doctor and and we know that, you know, health is just a little piece of of somebody. And so really looking at a person as a whole and looking at the barriers that people have to food and housing or transportation. And health doesn't fall just on health care, but it falls in the community.
0: Tri-County Health Network provides programs across San Miguel, Montrose, and Delta counties with the aim of collaborating with communities to improve health across the region.
1: The history of water negotiations on the Colorado River stretches back over a century. As drought strains the river, those negotiations are being continually revisited. Eric Kuhn of Glenwood Springs, Colorado, spent nearly four decades working as a manager of the Colorado River District. In 2019, he published Science Be Damned How Ignoring Inconvenient Science Drained the Colorado River. This coming Monday, July 10th, Kuhn will be in Telluride to discuss the river crisis, and he spoke with Codo News ahead of the event. Kuhn begins by reflecting on how he got involved with the river all those many years ago
5: well i got interested by accident i was actually um, uh uh in, in graduate school um after 6 years in the navy um i had i was had an engineering degree um actually my specialty was nuclear engineering i had no idea what i was doing and i sort of walked into the job at the colorado river district um, by accident uh, but then i got hooked on water issues
1: so through your years managing flows and working on the Colorado River, you began to understand there was a water crisis developing in the West. Will you discuss how this crisis uh, came about?
5: Um, yes, I will. And and the, the problem was for really up until the late 80s and 90s, it was largely theoretical. They were over allocating more water on paper because the projects had not been built, you know, but by... The early 90s, uh, when we completed the Central Arizona Project, the Dolores Project, and a number of other projects throughout the basin.
1: And are these uh, projects
5: dams? Um, they're mainly dams. Um, the Central Arizona Project is a big canal system. Um, but th- there there are dams and there are canals. Dams don't use a lot of water. It's the canals and the distribution systems that take water to cities and irrigated farms. That's what uses water. Um the, but what they've done is they took an optimistic view of how much water was available because it made the politics easier. But that all came, to, came uh, to a screeching halt, if you want to say it, when beginning in 2000 when we entered what we now call the millennium drought. And we've really seen the consequences of climate change.
1: Right. And all these decisions about how to divvy up the water in the river were made long ago before the reality of that drought set in.
5: Yeah. You know, one thing about the Colorado is it's a very large river in terms of drainage area. It drains about 250,000 square miles. Um, But because most of the drainage area is high desert or desert, um, you know, it's it's a very modest river uh, for the size. Uh, So uh, beginning, um, you know, in the early 1900s, we have already had um, skirmishes or legal battles or political battles over the development of the river. And I got fascinated in that. Uh, You know, why the compact? What were their assumptions uh, when they compacted the states and, and the federal government negotiated the compact in 1922?
1: Interesting. So there's a long history there. And in your years working on this river, what wisdom do you have about uh, the future and future decisions?
5: Well, I yeah, my my kind of thesis is that it's all about managing grasses. On a municipal side, people don't use a lot of water in their house because what do you do? It goes into you know, you run your washing machine or you take a shower where the water goes back into the system. In most cases, it goes to a, a treatment plant. And back into the river. People don't use a lot of water until they have big lawns. And then the same thing is true irrigation. But we also grow mostly forage. We we grow uh, cattle feed. uh, And we're going to have to figure out can you know how how can we continue to use the river but in a more sustainable way. All right, Eric. Thanks
1: for all this. And can you just give us a preview of your visit to Telluride next week?
6: Well,
5: I'm going to basically talk about um our my experience as a manager on the river why I wrote uh, with John Fleck science be damned and what I see some of the risks in the future. You know, the risk in the future is not taking climate change serious enough and continuing um to over you know, overuse a resource that's not there. Uh and we we've, we've got to come to get grips with the difficult politics of using far less water and using it in a smarter way.
1: All right, Eric, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you. That was Eric Kuhn, who will be at the Wilkinson Public Library next Monday, July 10th, to deliver a talk titled The Perfect Ingredients for a Colorado River Crisis. The event, sponsored by Sheep Mountain Alliance and the Telluride Foundation, in partnership with the library, begins at 5 p.m.
0: Mesopotamia, Greece, Rome, Telluride. Mosaics span the centuries and the globe. This week on Eyes to Ears, Telluride High School's Bella Eatman digs into the sky.
7: Good day, listeners. This is the Koto segment known as Eyes to Ears. I am your host, Bella Eatman and I visit local art galleries to find paintings that grab my attention to describe to you. Today will be a nice change of pace, as this piece is a mosaic from the AHA Gallery, with the title of Homeward Bound by Christopher Bieber. Shiny white fragments form the shape of a bird flying to the right. Its edges are defined by a single cohesive line before the filling chaos of other shards of pearly geometry. Dotting the edges of the bird's wings lie the small blue flowers. Five pointed white stars dot the night sky that this bird flies through. But the stars aren't the only things that shine here. The geometry filling up the sky varies in reflective remains of black, pine green, and navy blue. And beneath all these glossy ceramic shards lays the blue cement, calming the chaos. And all of this is surrounded by a frame of black pieces over black cement and more stars sprinkled here and there. Thank you for listening to this episode of Eyes to Ears. I do apologize for possibly not using the right terms within the mosaic art form. I still hope that what you've heard today was good enough for the visualization of this piece, however. Looking at the dark pieces in the sky of this piece reminds me of what you see when you close your eyes. The sparkly blues, greens, and reds. It turns out that that color has a name known as Eigengrau, or intrinsic gray in German. Either way, this has been another installment in the series known as Eyes to Ears on Kodo. Thank you for listening. My name is Bella Einman, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.
1: Several local organizations are getting a bump in funding. This week, the Telluride Tourism Board announced the recipients of their new $5,000 grants. The grant program, which kicked off this year, aims to support local businesses and nonprofit organizations with a tourism focus. Ultimately, the grant committee selected four organizations to make use of the allocated funds Mountain Trip for marketing the Via Ferrata climbing route, Stronghouse Brewpub for sponsoring Oktoberfest. Telluride Horror Show for additional festival venues, and Telluride Theater for their Plays the Thing program. Telluride Tourism Board officials say they look forward to seeing the grant's positive impacts on the community.
0: The peaks of Colorado's tallest mountains might be just as high as they were three years ago, but their stature seems to have taken a tumble. According to a report released this month by the Colorado 14ers Initiative, roughly 270,000 hikers summited one of the state's 14ers last summer. That's down 8% over 2021 levels and down over 30% from 2020, when hiker visits reached an all-time high at roughly 415,000. The 14ers initiative uses infrared trackers positioned along trails to tally up hiker visits and has collected data since 2015. Compared with hiker traffic on the Front Range, 14ers in the San Juans are relatively sleepy. The most popular summits in our region, Handel's Red Cloud and Sunshine Peaks, saw an estimated 7,000 or so visits apiece last summer. Colorado's most popular high-altitude hikes clocked closer to 25,000 or 30,000 visits. Numbers at the most popular destinations have seen the sharpest reduction in visitors, possibly due to trail managers rolling out reservation systems and parking limitations. While overuse in Colorado's high country is a concern, the report also notes lost economic revenue from hikers could sting mountain communities. Additionally, hikers who once concentrated on the 14ers may now be seeking out less popular trails, with less infrastructure in place, a change that could prove problematic for trail managers and natural areas alike.
1: Jackson, Wyoming is the latest community to become part of a nationwide network of police cameras. Law enforcement say they are intended to catch criminals through license plate data, but civil rights advocates have privacy concerns. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Hannah Mersbach has more.
8: The Falcons. That's the name of the 30 solar-powered police cameras soon to be hung on Jackson Street Poles or traffic lights. Thanks to machine learning, the cameras will scan vehicles and capture license plate numbers and other data 24 hours a day. They come from a company called Flock, one of the fastest-growing tech groups in the nation. Their North Star mission, according to spokesperson Holly Balin, eliminate crime.
0: Flock really focuses on objective data. So part of what we want to do is remove some of the human bias that is inherent in crime fighting.
8: Jackson Police Chief Michelle Weber recently asked the town move forward with a nearly $200,000 deal, saying the cameras will help speed up investigations and locate missing people. We're behind the eight ball where a lot of communities are already doing this. And so when other communities
7: have crimes or suspects that have come to Jackson, we're
8: unable to provide as much help as we possibly could because we don't have this technology. Town council was nearly divided on the issue. Councilmember Jonathan Schechter ultimately helped tip the scales in favor.
5: I don't like this particular arc of this particular part of history, and I'm screaming stop as I vote yes.
8: But some local community members and the American Civil Liberties Union are concerned. ACLU senior policy analyst Jay Stanley opposes any use of the cameras and says it's dangerous to create a mass surveillance system with law enforcement officers around the country.
4: It's like putting a GPS tracker on everybody's car, and that's not the way we do things in this country.
8: The Jackson data is currently slated to be stored for 90 days, and according to the police chief, only be accessible when local officers launch a criminal investigation. Hannah Mersbach, K 12 News.
0: Hot air balloons were seen over the skies of Delta over the 4th of July holiday as part of the community's inaugural balloon fest. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KVNF's Lisa Young has more.
6: John Denver with Rocky Mountain High. I'm Lisa Young with KVNF. As the first morning ascension is pretty much wrapping up, people are... Fly. Sounds from the first inaugural 4th of July Western Sky Balloon Festival held in Delta, Colorado over the long holiday weekend. The four-day event was hosted by the City of Delta and financed by numerous local sponsors. The city contracted with balloonmeister Doug Lindbergh from New Mexico to bring 12 balloons to Confluence Park. The event also featured a local balloon from Cedar Edge. Excitement for the event was seen on opening night as hundreds of cars clogged the road to Devil's Thumb Golf Course Saturday night for the first evening glow.
4: There was over 2,000 people. That was the best first-time balloon glow of a small city, community-based balloon rally that I've ever done.
6: That's Balloon Doug Lindbergh. Unfortunately, windy weather put a halt to the night, leaving thousands disappointed.
4: We were extremely fortunate to get balloons standing up, uh, taking advantage of the calm weather before it got windy. Obviously, as soon as it got windy, we had to be respectful of the aircraft. We can't have them hurt.
6: The discouragement at Devil's Thumb gave way to pure joy and elation early Sunday morning as hundreds gathered at Confluence Park just as the sun was rising in the east to witness the first ascension of the balloons.
1: The first balloon I saw was coming down to the water, and I'm going, what's wrong? They're doing it on purpose, and they fly back up. It's just been an incredible
6: experience. That's Sue Hicks, and here's Luca on what he saw that first morning.
1: Um, a bunch of just really pretty, different colors. It's r- really nice watching them bounce off the water, the colors of it bouncing off the water and just reflecting what you see.
6: Spectators were also treated to live pilot accounts as they drifted westward, high above the confluence of the Uncompahgre and Gunnison Rivers. Phone here now
5: is pilot Daniel Backus uh, He was the one that... Flew an American flag first off. Daniel, what's going on up there this morning? Oh, nice and calm. We're
4: traveling right now at about four miles apart. Coming up on the river
5: right now. We got our feet nice and wet in the water. That was a lot of fun.
6: Someone else who had plenty of fun was event announcer Kevin, who warned that attending balloon festivals could have consequences. You
5: kind of gain an addiction and then you turn into a balloonatic. So.
6: <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for talking with me this morning. One of the last balloons to ascend was filled with hot air and history. Here's announcer Kevin with a story on the balloon inspired by a day at the circus.
5: So a trip to Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus was the inspiration for this hand-painted balloon known as Big Top. It was created with over 1,000 hours of artwork using airbrushing and dyes. Each of the images, such as the ringmaster, the lions, the tigers and bears, stand almost 40 feet tall.
6: The amazing artwork depicting scenes from the circus covers the balloon's 18,000 square foot surface. As the brightly colored balloon sailed away into the western sky, City of Delta Community Engagement Manager Whitney Lear shared a personal moment.
2: I teared up when the balloon with the American flag went up and they played the national anthem. It just was that moment that hit me that it all came together, all the hard work that our team has put together. Um, It's been awesome.
6: Awesome was the word for the entire four-day event that included live music, food vendors, crafts, competitions, and a fireworks display over the still waters of Confluence Park. Wrapping up Independence Weekend in Delta, Colorado, where dreams really do come true. For KVNF and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Lisa Young.
1: The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low in the mid-40s. Saturday should be sunny with a high around 80. Saturday night, expect clear skies with a low around 45 degrees. Sunday should be sunny during the day and mostly clear at night. The high is in the mid-80s with a low around 50 degrees. There is a red flag warning in effect on Friday and a fire weather watch in effect on Saturday. This has been the news for Friday, July 7th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.